Today I have a very special guest for all of you yet again. You will probably recognize this gentleman if you have any interest in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or the ground game in martial arts. My friend Roy Dean is here to visit and have an interesting and unique discussion. We tried to do this podcast a week ago and we had a monumental failure of technology. But something interesting happened. What was going to be just an interview where I asked him some questions and his background and journey turned out that in our discourse back and forth through this meltdown that we had with uh, video conferencing, we ended up on some topics that don't get discussed very often. So joining me today as we interview Roy Dean and get some perspective on what goes on in the minds of black belts. First, I'm going to give you that intro and give Roy a chance to introduce himself to all of you and talk about his background in the traditional martial arts before he stepped foot into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Let's get hooked! How you doing, Roy? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Randy. Pleasure to speak to you again. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, indeed. I know that we tried this last week and we had some technical difficulties and couldn't get it off the ground, but uh, in our conversation, we came up with some good... Uh, I think we had a good back and forth on some topics we didn't even know that might be a good... Uh, solution for a podcast so i thought we could uh revisit those if you don't mind absolutely yeah yeah we definitely had a good rapport and i think some of those topics are you know less um often touched upon very i i don't think i've ever heard anybody discuss some of those things um but before we get into that i think that the listeners on my podcast would be interested in you have a traditional martial arts much like I did before going to uh, BJJ. Um, what did you do before that? You started when you were very young, right? Um, uh, definitely a teenager. I did a little karate when I was, you know, a kid, but I didn't go okay. very far in that. And then when I was 16, I was uh, in Japan and, as an exchange student, and they encouraged me to do a martial art or Japanese art uh, after school. So I ended up doing. Um, judo, Kodokan Judo. And awesome. then eventually I came back to the United States. I got involved in Aikido, uh, was really devoted to Aikido and the philosophy. Um, and I wanted to take it to that next step. So I became a live-in student to an Aikido and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu master in Monterey, California. Wow. So I, I worked during the day and then I trained every class, uh, and cleaned the dojo, and lived, and apprenticed, and I did that um, while I was introduced to my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor, who was Claudio Franza, in, okay. um, based out of uh, Santa Cruz, California. So, um, yeah, I have a traditional martial arts background, uh, which I feel really helps give me a, a bigger picture uh, kind of a, a wide angle lens on what jujitsu is and what it can be. Now, to back up a second, when you were in Japan, did you 
so you exchanged student for how long? Was it for just a semester or was it for a couple of years? Oh, no, it was, it was for a year. Okay, nice. Yeah. That's, so it was, that's amazing it was, experience. It was. I mean, it definitely changed the entire trajectory of my life, without a doubt. And I don't think that I would, I mean, who knows, but I've been, you know, in my adult life, I've traveled extensively and taught and, you know, been all over. And it's part of that kind of adventurous, like, you can do that. Or yeah. quitting my job to be a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor full time. Like those decisions were made easier by taking that initial, very large leap into the unknown mm. uh, with that exchange program. I, if I could do that for a year, I could do almost anything for a year. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Did you have a good experience while you were there? Uh, I did. Uh, at the time, I felt like I was being. Hmm, I mean, I heard the stories from my fellow exchange students that were in, like one guy went to Brazil and he just like, they just partied all year. Someone else went to um, Africa, South Africa, I can't remember, somewhere in Africa, they just safaried for the entire mm -hmm. year. And it sound, that sounded amazing. Meanwhile, I'm like getting beat up uh, in judo class <laughs> and and in a, a French military uniform at my high school. So it was, I was like, what is this? But I'm, I'm grateful now that I, I went through that. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great introduction to what martial arts really are uh, without a lot of the mystification that can happen in Western, from a Western perspective of mm -hmm. what martial arts yes. are. Now, you went judo to traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu and then to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, correct? Correct. And how long did you spend doing Japanese jiu-jitsu? Oh, I was really into it for about three, three or four years. And then, I, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I moved down to Southern California, went to University of California, San Diego. And at that point, I had actually sworn off martial arts because I was like, I need to really focus. It was very me to um, get a job essentially yeah. I wanted to do very well in my studies really be you know professional 100% dedicated to my academic career and so I I swore off martial arts and I wasn't going to do it I ended up doing like adult gymnastics instead to kind of mm. I did that for a little while but then within a few months I was back on the map I couldn't stay away from that <laughs> Couldn't stay away. I couldn't stay away. I couldn't stay away. And and San Diego had a really good BJJ scene. Burgeoning. Now it's, I mean, very, um, it's packed. There's a lot of people teaching BJJ in San Diego now. But at the time, it was still very, outside of Los Angeles, it was like a second mecca of, of okay. BJJ. Now... What drew you to BJJ? Like, why why'd you switch? Uh, well, I was, well, one, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Hoist Gracie and, and Claudio Franza, and these guys could definitively, repeatedly prove the smaller man can beat the bigger man mm. over and over again. And they would prove it over and over. And that's what I've been waiting for. I wanted the smaller guy to be able to be the bigger, stronger adversary. 
and a lot of arts would talk about it and some would even appeal to authority well i know we can't do that but you know our founder could or this, you should see this person who can do it yeah you know, I, I don't i don't want that i want i want the actual individual empowerment i want it to be able to have that skill set with me and i wanted to kind of gain the confidence that comes through really doing it really earning it really tapping people really being able to physically dominate people i mean it's one thing to kind of imagine and there's a lot of imagining in some of these more right. traditional martial arts like oh well i could have done this or if they did that i would just do that you know it doesn't even really matter what the art is there's always that discussion well, but there was less discussion and more action in Brazilian yes. Jiu-Jitsu. And I was into action. But you, you spoke of something a minute ago with regards to, because I heard a lot of the stories as well, or the, the parables about smaller, the smaller guy beating larger, stronger opponents. And then he went on to teach this and everybody... Mm-hmm that style exists today because of that. Um, But something that struck me when you were saying that is, it's interesting to me that in martial arts that involve uh, sport competition with weight classes, you hear about that less. Like you you don't hear about, oh, this boxer, he was small, but he could take on these giants and beat them or wrestlers it seems to be more in the traditional martial arts that those stories were were propagated and mm. carried on does that mm-hmm. does that ring true to you as i say it um certainly i mean there's a lot of storytelling and you know anecdotal evidence but mm. i wanted i mean the amazing thing about brazilian jiu-jitsu is it takes the scientific method and applies it yeah into a you know pretty safe martial art and running those hypotheses over and over again you see what is true what isn't what works what didn't work uh and then you can and you fill it into a massive data set and you have a super incomplete data set of like blue belt you know purple you have maybe you have all the all the different categories but you know, by black belt, you have a very, very detailed data set. Yeah. And and you're just filling in like, you know, you, there's all you've been in so many different kinds of situations um, that you can strategize and be able to discern which techniques are going to be most appropriate for this opponent, this situation. You know, they have a for yourself. Oh, yeah, or, or for yourself, you're like, oh, that's, that's, I know that's an option from this position, right. but I haven't put in enough reps. It doesn't work with my level of flexibility. Yeah. I might have to exert myself a lot uh, in order to do this, or, um, you know, or I only have one chance to go for this technique, and if I tip them off about it too early, then I'm not going to be able to do it when the time is quite right. So, like all those things you get from your data set that you've compiled over the years. Now, do you feel that when you got into jujitsu and obviously not right away, but as you got deeper into it, do you feel like it, it, 
helped your your experiences in Aikido, like it reverse applied benefits to the martial arts that you had done before? You know, initially when you're training in multiple martial arts and you don't really have like a very good level yet, you're still kind mm -hmm. of beginnery. It's, it's, you don't really get that. I don't feel because you're mixing up too many things, right? You know, mixing up principles, mixing up techniques, what's appropriate in this situation, what would be efficient. Uh, but later, for sure, the fact that I am not afraid of being taken down to the ground would help yeah. my Aikido because I don't need to worry about that. Right. You know, that would be that would be fine if you did it. So I can really attend to, okay, what am I doing in this moment with no fear of what could happen afterwards because I got that covered. So I just need yep. to win this early battle of the initial contact or you know, and the Japanese jujitsu, you know, if I, if I get somebody off balance with a wrist lock, maybe they don't go all the way down to the ground, but I am able to off balance them. Then I can create a physical obstruction, like throw my leg out for Tayatoshi or, or do something like that. Or while they're, you know, futzing around with, with that, maybe I lower my level going for a double. It, it doesn't matter what the, the follow-up is, but you can start mixing ranges of of combat right. more effectively right. with these different arts, which often the arts specialize in a particular range of combat. Aikido is that yeah. initial that initial contact. Judo is standing. You know, BJJ is on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. And there's overlap, but you know beefing up one definitely gives you confidence to explore the others. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, especially being smaller and uh, when you go to throw somebody bigger than you, chances are they're going to grab onto you out of just uh, fear instinct and you're going to go down with them. Mm -hmm. and not being worried about that is huge. I mean, the I, I would, in my experience, and I don't, Maybe you have a different experience, but when you get to the ground, probably the number one, your number one enemy is your stamina, which quickly goes by the wayside if you're afraid and your adrenaline goes through the roof. You get mm -hmm. gassed out in 30 seconds or a minute, and then the person can do whatever they want to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and part of that is also people being unfamiliar with what it feels like to be constricted. Constricted yes. in your movement, right. constricted yeah. in the pressure that they offer you, and that just people freak out. I I had no idea, and you probably did because you started early on with judo. But I had all striking arts, so mm -hmm. I was used to sparring and and doing tournaments and doing bouts and stuff. But my first BJJ competition was a real eye opener when it was this contested just grapple like you couldn't you're just grabbing each other and there isn't this movement and, and mobility that you would have with kicks and strikes and no grappling it's like it was a completely different animal and it was exhausting oh yeah well any any you know stiff rigid activity like that can be yeah can be especially pretty... as a white belt <laughs> Yeah, if you, it's Death yeah. Rip, two right? two rocks grab each other. <laughs> a ring. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. Now, I may, I, 
if I recall correctly, in one of your the stories I've heard you tell before, now you, I think around Purple Belt and BJJ, uh, tried to open yourself up to helping other people in the Aikido with kind of elevating Aikido a bit from like bringing some of that experience with the crucible and BJJ and applying it to Aikido. Is that accurate? When I was a purple belt, I, I definitely felt like, okay, I have an understanding of jujitsu, BJJ. I, I definitely have an understanding of it. And I have a pretty good perspective having trained in judo and having, um, you know, I, I trained in a good Aikikai lineage of Aikido. I have a, a, a pretty good understanding of what that was and, and what they were maybe missing or what was, a, you know, what was lacking in the training method, what, right. as I saw it. So I, I wanted to be able to help the art. The only way that I could truly help the art was to offer input online at that time. Okay. But nobody knew who I was and nobody really took me seriously at that point. Um, because like, you know, I, I'm just another random guy online. And even though I was way ahead of most people in terms of like cross training, I was very open to cross training, right. very open, very open minded all the way through, not that dogmatic. Um, but people felt like they had the answers. And um, my input wasn't welcome at that time. I was just too young. You know, I was, I was very gung ho at uh, yeah. Belt. you know, I thought I thought too, I knew too young. Or do you think that uh, some of it is also too? I don't want to say inexperienced because a purple belt has a hefty amount of experience um, in the BJJ community. But to the outward view, oh, to, was yeah, it really a purple belt? Which is like, you know, and these days it could be three years of training to five years of training to eight years of training. But I think I was around, you know, five years in BJJ at that point. And yeah. I felt like that was a, I had definitely paid some dues. But to the outside world, you're not even a black belt. You know, right. in the Aikido world, they wouldn't take you seriously unless you had, I mean, I was like, I was essentially the first Aikido black belt to get their black belt in BJJ. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, but they, in the Aikido world, just having a black belt is like having a, maybe a blue belt or a purple belt. I mean, that's how they saw it. Oh, you don't even know what you're talking about until third dawn. Just don't even, don't even enter the conversation. Right. And I was like, really? No, I have quite a bit of experience against some very tough people. And they're like, oh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. So, yeah. you know, that was not the way that I could... Um, that was not my real contribution. It was not time yet for, for me to do that. Now, what would you say that, because my first, my first exposure to you was I heard about your uh, Blue Belt Requirements DVDs. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, this is going back quite a few years now. Would you say that, um, and you were a black belt at this time that you put the, put those Correct. out Correct. and was that really when people in the uh, traditional martial arts community started to 
pay attention to you or take you more seriously and, and listen to what you had to say? Or was it still even longer after that? Mm, I would say a lot of the Aikido community still is not really that interested in what I have to... I mean, some do. Some understand, like, the le- level of training that I've done and my contribution. Right. Uh, but I've I've kind of backed away from offering that kind of advice and I I'm working yeah. behind the scenes a little bit more I feel mm-hmm. in a more powerful way uh than soft power but, yeah yeah soft power but when it came to blue belt requirements that was a life-changing project like yeah. that blue belt requirements changed everything for me um, I think it, I would argue that it changed a lot for the BJJ community as well because even though it's it's um arbitrary what uh one teacher requires for blue belt from another it gave people a a target or at least one opinion of what Mm -hmm. what it well let's peel back the layers and look inside what really is involved in this process and uh it helped kind of define that to people and i know myself included because i think i I mean i was a white belt when that came out and Mm -hmm. even though um, I recognize that what you, what you were presenting as blue belt requirements was not what my professor was going to follow per se, but I was very curious. Well, what does, what do you Roy Dean think, uh, is involved in blue belt requirements? And I picked that up because I was curious and it, you know, and I see, I, I'm glad you did. And I think a lot of people wanted to get that perspective of like, okay, someone who's been down the path, what do they think? And those really weren't even my requirements. They were Mm. my instructor's requirements that I explained in a very kind of very succinct way Mm. and demonstrated. And, you know, someone that came to my academy, they told me, I said, you know, what you did with that was you eliminated it's not about addition, it's about subtraction. You eliminated so many things for people to focus on. Yes. And then hone down to the real fundamentals, which as my instructor, Roy Harris saw it, fundamental movements based on positional escapes. Yeah. And and you get that and you've got a great foundation going forward. And you will learn a lot of what will eventually go into submissions, you know, like how to raise your hips and how to maintain, you know, d- details and stuff like that. And it, it gave you an overview of submissions, but you weren't required to be a submission expert by Blue. It's, it was much more about right. having that, that foundation. foundation and positional yeah. escapes, which gives you confidence and as the years have gone on, I've promoted people, you know, to black belt and whatever. I can see that having that base layer in positional escapes has really helped, one, eliminate fear from a lot of practitioners. I mean, I've seen brown belts that, you know, you get them in a bad position that they're not sure how to escape from. They kind of, they either melt yep. or, or, they, or they freak out. And then yeah. try to do some, and it's like, oh, shouldn't you be past the muscling stage? Well, yeah. you know, if you're in a really unfamiliar area, you know. But so I think that is, I, I think that's good. I, I think ultimately it's, it's. I've seen in the schools that that 
you know, I govern now and, and oversee, I, I really feel like it's given people um, kind of a uniform standard of movement. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, that's very interesting because I had a conversation with Stefan Kessing a few weeks ago. I hadn't planned to ask you this question, but it, I, now that you speak of it, I think it's a good opportunity to bring it up again. So what, what I proposed or posited to him was, what do you think a beginner should start with in BJJ uh, if you were to choose between submissions or positional uh, escapes, what do you think is a better one to start out with? Oh, definitely positional escapes. But it depends on what your intent is. If you actually want to educate them, it would be positional escapes. If right. you want to do like an introductory private lesson and tease them, yeah, <laughs> with the power of jujitsu, then I would show them submissions. Yeah. So Stefan pretty much said the same thing. <laughs> Almost word for word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good to to be able to, you know. I'm just stubborn off. and I I, I I recognize the value in the positional escapes because if you can't get those, then forget about submissions. You're gonna right. be stuck. So my the logic in my head was, well, this is what I'm gonna insist on starting people with, but it's not as entertaining. It's not as ah, you know, it's like in the stand-up world, um, okay, we're going to start with blocks. What? How about we yeah. start with learning how to hit somebody as hard as you can hit them? That's more exciting than let's block. But right, no, it, 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 that is so true. That that is so true. You know, it's not as sexy. Submissions no, exactly. Are, are very sexy. I'm just bad at marketing, I guess. <laughs> um. Oh, that's re that's really cool. I'm glad that brought up uh, that came up because it's it's like two people um, from different uh, parts of the community, but both basically said the same thing. Now you say that the the Aikido community still doesn't embrace you, but you do work on like the Aikido Journal, correct? Oh, I mean, there are people in the Aikido community now that that. Um recognize that I'm very skilled in this other art and that I've done Aikido and I'm, I'm doing a lot for it. So there's a lot more um, respect and appreciation for the Good. path and, and what nice. I'm offering. And uh, a few years ago, the founder of Aikido Journal passed away. His name was Stanley Prannan. He's a brilliant man, spoke seven, eight, nine languages. Wow. Um, also did not just believe the... Um, kind of the political stance of what the Aikikai was telling people about the art. And he went to Japan, he spoke fluent Japanese, of course, and would actually interview the masters mm. and got the real scoop on the evolution of the art. And so that intellectual property, that brand, Aikido Journal, um, when he passed away, was handed over to a guy named Josh Gold. Okay. And Josh and I have become friends and allies. Uh, so we've partnered on a number of projects. Um, and I offered input and helped um, Josh rebrand uh, Aikido Journal into a very clean, very modern, looks, it, it's wonderful. I mean, yeah. and I think Stan would be, um, you know, we're always trying to honor his legacy. And I, I think he'd be very pleased with the work that Josh has done. Mm. And 
I also have been working on Aikido Journal Academy. So, of course, I have my own instructionals, uh, and I've produced a ton. I've, I've yeah. done so many instructionals now that, you know, in BJJ, but now I'm doing some for the Aikido community. The first one we did was called Bulletproofing Pins. Jiu-Jitsu follow-ups if the pin in Aikido doesn't work. Okay. So we did that. And then we did another course called, it was kind of a revamp of uh, Kuichi Tohei, an Aikido master. He did a course and we kind of, we updated it. Better music, better just everything. We, we kind of repurposed that and put it out. Then we did a course called Aikido Extensions with Bruce Bookman. Um, okay. And that was, he was one of the first guys to train. He was an Aikidoist, but he also did Western boxing. He also did, B he trained under the Machados before I ever started doing BJJ. Mm. And he was one of the people that inspired me to cross train and be, you know, okay with it. And we right. did a course with him where he takes, um, you know, Aikido techniques with jujitsu follow-ups and, you know, like jab cross, how to block, how to, how to crush that, how to lead right. into. So blending those with modern attacks, good modern attacks. It's nice. brilliant. It's really, it's really a fantastic course. And so we were able to put that together. Um, and then we did one with Patricia Hendricks, who's the head of um, an Aikido organization, a very large one, uh, Iwama. Right. Um, and so she did black belt essentials and, nice. you know, she's at the, and these people are at the height of their powers. They're like early sixties, you know, 40 years of training plus, and now is the time to get their wisdom. Yeah, and definitely on. And so we're doing that and we're doing a new project, which should be out in the first quarter of 2021 on Kazuo Chiba. Now, Chiba was a very feared and respected instructor because he was very hard style. Mm. And he would actually test it out. And he had injuries, broken arms, whatever, but he would take challenges and test it out. And they had a very practical, he said, to, if you really want to know how to fight, you have to learn judo, boxing, and Aikido. Okay. Wow. He was, yeah. So he... He knew it. He understand the reality of um, physical altercations, and it, it's it's an honor to go through. I'm going through and creating these technical modules on different techniques that he's done. Like we'll focus on techniques like iriminagi and an entering throw, mm. um, and we have footage of him in like the 1970s doing it, and then we have in the 80s. In the 90s, the 2000s, and then like That's 2011 cool. or 2012 were some of his last seminars. So I have footage and access to all of that. Wow. And I'm working with their organization, the Biron Kai, to, and they give me time codes. I get the, take the best of the best, put music to it, correct the visuals. Sometimes the audio is out of sync. Sometimes it needs to be color corrected. You know, I'm, I'm putting these on a 4K timeline at 60 frames per second, so I'm doing the absolute best to kind of upscale right. the footage. And I put it with this classical music or semi-classical music, and it's the really, each one is a little jewel. Yeah. And 
and I love being able to do this kind of work. I mean, I love jujitsu, right. uh, and Aikido is a different form of jujitsu. So to be able to like do this kind of work when I was yep. in my early twenties, to know that I would be making martial arts videos for a living and working with Aikido Journal and helping right. spread that around. I mean, like I couldn't have imagined it, but now I. I find myself doing it. I just feel really fortunate. Well, that's, um, I think, a good way to segue into the meat and potatoes of what we uh, we want to talk about is um, because you have you have evolved and changed over time what is important to you. or um, And I think that something we touched on uh, during our technical difficulties was um, – what goes on in this inside the mind of black belts? And mm. uh, let's start off with how you're. What do you think about now, about competing versus when you were a blue belt or a purple belt or even a white belt? You know the. It's a great question. I would say. You have a quest when you're a younger man, to like prove yourself to right. prove that you're worthy of respect in your society or you're amongst your tribe. Um, and with that comes a burning desire to, to feel what your limits are mm. and, and to actually go up against people where you, you know, people want to win, but what they really want to do is they want to lose because then that shows where they are. Um, mm. And and what that current threshold is, what that current ceiling is on their on their abilities. So initially, I was like, I was so nervous when I would, even though I competed in judo in Japan. Uh, still, it was like guys go hard in competition. Yeah. They go, they go really hard, as hard yeah. as they can go. You know, with, with holding nothing back, like yeah, you know, and it's shocking. Sometimes when you go from like, oh, you're rolling at your school with your friends and your teacher, and then you go to a competition is like full on and you have to adjust to that reality. Right. So I, I was really obsessed with I, I have to win. I have to be able to like because I would I would enter these BJJ competitions and I would lose and I lost. I lost every match until the first competition that I won as a, as a blue belt, which mm -hmm. was Grappler's Quest. And. I, I really had this desire, like, I have to be able to, it, it was a very difficult riddle. Okay, what techniques do I use? What should my approach be? What should, how should I eat beforehand? You know, all these other factors. I had to yeah. figure out that riddle. And then eventually I did. And once I won a couple of competitions, I just didn't feel the return on investment was very good. I was like, okay, okay, I understand. And I feel that people, even though competition, yes, we need competition. If you don't have competition, you the, the teeth of the art get kind of dull. Yeah. You gotta keep them sharp, you know? So competition is the litmus test of like what is true and what is working within that, within that rule set. So, so uh -huh. How old were you when you when you converted like that? You changed you like you felt like you weren't getting the return on investment. Oh, it was after I was a purple belt and I did a Chris Brennan tournament. 
uh, it was a round robin tournament. Mm-hmm. So I I lost my first two matches. I uh, I got choked. I just I you know I was like I had just won my last tournament, so I was like oh, I'm gonna do so good. Right, right. A little cocky. <laughs> and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I went out there and I, I wasn't really warmed up. And this guy, like, I tried to throw a triangle on him. He just, this is a no-gi competition. He just put his elbow right in my crotch. Oh. He, he, he didn't care. He didn't, yep. there was no, no, no caring yeah. about my crotch. So he, he, he drove it in. And then I eventually I had to give up the triangle. And I gave my, I gave my back, he rolled to my back and choked me. Yep. I said, oh, that was not good and then the next guy i fought was he won the whole thing he tapped uh everybody and um he put me in a heel hook and but before he put me in a heel hook he did like a 10 finger guillotine and he i still have damage from it like my both sides are not equal on my throat yep um he he took out some of this cartilage that was that was in here, and it I crushed remember the trachea after, or what's that? Did it crush the trachea? Yeah, I mean, not uh, not uh, going in, but actually pulling from the side. He was like oh, really okay. wrenching yep. it. Yep. And I almost tapped, but I didn't, and and it was swollen and bleeding, and I was I could it was hard to swallow for a while, yeah. for for a while afterwards. And then after that, I, I let go. I was like, well, this is all just experience now. Yep. Doesn't matter. And so I, I ended up tapping the next five guys after I, after I dropped the first two matches. I got second. And, but it was the swallowing. It yeah. was the, I was like, I tried to eat uh, with my buddy at this restaurant afterwards. And I was like, this is, what am I doing yeah. What am I doing? I prepared. I paid money. I drove, you know, up to Orange County, and I am beat up. Yeah. What is this about? You know, I, it just didn't make any sense to me. And when I told my instructor, I, when I told Mr. Harris, I said, you know, I don't think I want to compete like that anymore. That's the, like, what? A, what is it? He's like, good. I've been waiting for you to say that. <laughs> that was good. You got the support. <laughs> <laughs> you know, absolutely. And he was like, oh, if you want to compete, you, you compete. Because to me, it was like, oh, the best guys are competing. I have to compete. I got I to gotta, I gotta figure out that riddle. But then once I had won a couple of times, and I was like, this is, this is BS. And then I eventually did compete again as a black belt. Mm-hmm. I got my black belt, and I did the Worlds in 2009. And okay. it was okay. I, did, I won my first match by choke, and then I got arm locked by Victor Estima. And... It was like, okay, that was good. I'm glad I didn't get hurt. I was just grateful. I was like, I had a great experience. I didn't get hurt. And it was cool, you know. But that, one of my friends told me, I was like, oh, yeah, well, I want to, I won match, you know, I want to, I want a blue belt. I want a purple belt. I got to win a brown belt. I got to win a black belt. I got to win at every level. And he was like, oh, that's um, power. I was like, "What?" He doesn't even do jujitsu. He was like, "Oh, it's power, Roy. You're you're after the power, you know, and it never ends." That's true. It becomes uh, it becomes addictive, um, right? 
and you see it if you look and I, I i could see it so much more clearly after that i was like oh my god he was so right because okay you know you win every belt level oh you win the regional competition well it's not nationals well it's not pan ams well it's not yeah. worlds yeah and then okay you're a, you're a world champion oh but i'm only a one-time world champion you yeah, know and then it's and so then funny oh no i need to be a three i'm a four-time world champion yeah but he was a six-time world champion and right. so you're, you know, you're never ever satisfied. So now it's, I'm, I'm just like I'm as good as I am. I've tapped thousands of people. I've been tapped thousands of times. Right. It's I'm okay with it. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm so okay with it. What, wherever I am. Accept it. Right. It, absolutely. I know enough. I know way more than most people. And. Right. If that isn't okay, if you're not okay with being able to tap 98% of all people out there, then maybe you got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good observation. It's um, it it does it becomes something that feeds itself, and it's uh, you know I went all the way to nationals in like Chinese martial arts before mm-hmm. I went to. The BJJ and like if uh, people compliment that, it's like I, I quickly correct them. It's like I'm only I only won nationals on the people that showed up. There's an right. awful lot of people that didn't show up that day uh, that didn't compete, and they may be better than us. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't want to. They didn't want to do that. Um, so it, it yeah, it's 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 an achievement, but it's not. It's not the be all end all, but that's exactly what happened. It's all local, and then it went regional, and then go national, and it's um, it's like when's it when is it enough? And I mean, right. for me, it was when I started my school. That was I was like, all right, I went to nationals, um, I got a couple gold medals and a silver, and now it's time to focus on my students and put my energy into them if they want to compete or do things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I went back to BJJ or started BJJ, I, I felt this urge to test it, to, to want to compete, to want to, to try it in the arena and, uh, and step on the mats and see what it was like. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad I did. So what, as far as you now, do you, how do you feel about not just the personal competing, but for your students? Where do you stand oh, on that? I encourage it. Hey man, if you want to do it, do it. You know, yeah. and prepare. Prepare yourself properly. Figure out what it's all about. I do think it's good for people to compete, especially if they're going to be leading a school. Right. It's good to know what that experience is. Yeah. You know, I never did MMA, and nor do I really teach any MMA. I have had MMA uh, fighters, you know, but like that in a way in a way you want to have at least one MMA fight if you're going to be coaching guys to do MMA yeah if you know and likewise if you're going to have a school and guys are going to be competing you should have some competition experience and so you understand what it's like and your guys even if you're not currently competing they respect you more and they trust you more knowing that you've actually yeah. you have done it you have done that. You've been through that. You were a white belt. They, they, it's hard for people to believe that you were a white belt once and you had to go through the process and, you know. Or that you lost. I think that 
you know, it's very humble that of you to sit there and discuss your experience in competing and not just like the times that you won, but the times that you lost and like the, the knowing, I think when they know the instructor has failed as well, then it takes some of the pressure off that they have to win. It's obviously great to win. I mean, that's where you go to compete. You don't go to lose. You go to try to win, but uh, knowing that it's okay, um, uh-huh. that uh, that the instructor didn't win every match that they didn't uh, that they competed in is important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes you accessible and human. Yeah. And, you know, and if you can win as a normal human, then you can, you know, it's no big deal to lose. It's it's just eliminating, okay, well, let's retool that strategy. I had, uh, I had students that didn't, it was baffling to them when I would talk about going to the school, my instructor, in his BJJ Academy mm-hmm. and that some of the, the seniors there that I rolled with would tap me regularly and they would do this to me or do that to me. And as if I was teaching, I would explain, well, you know, this can happen and this would happen to me and, uh, relating experience in the teaching mm-hmm. process that, uh, didn't believe that, that somebody was tapping me. Mm. <laughs> Right, because they hadn't tapped me themselves, and they had never seen anybody tap me, because it was students, right? Right. But yeah. I, it's like, no, I get tapped, tapped regularly through this process. Believe me, <sighs> um, <laughs> it's it's oh, yeah. part of the game. But uh, if they don't see it or don't understand that you've failed, um, it, it allows for an unrealistic opinion of the instructor. I think. Oh, for sure. And then, and then it's crushing when they actually see you yeah. fail, you know, and it's, it's, uh, yeah. But that's why I think it's always good for instructors to tap to their students so they see it happening, mm. you know, and even though you perp- you give it up, you put yourself in a terrible position, you try to work out of it, oh, or maybe you just, you just give it to the person so you build them. You know, yeah. and, and if you do that on the regular, when somebody legitimately catches you, you are less inclined to be like, oh, no, no, I, I think I can still squeak it out. Right. right. So it's safer for you. And it's it's no big it's no big deal for them. You know, they, they're like, yeah, you know, so I, anyways, I, I think making yourself vulnerable in that way and mm-hmm. sharing that vulnerability and telling people that's part of the process is is very important. Well, that's, I mean, that's another thing that I don't think is brought up a lot is, as we talk about, like, inside the minds of black belts is what this process of tapping and what what you think of it personally. So I think that's important for people to understand or hear about as well, like what you were just saying with regards to uh, where a lot of the injuries happen is in those moments where, no, I'm not going to tap. and Totally. Totally. versus letting go and i'm not i'm guilty of it i'm not the best example for my students on this because it's just hard it's a hard thing to to let that happen um it's better it is, I think it's easier, the more you do it the, the easier it gets right you know? right 
but then you're the one preaching to them that to to put the ego aside and right to to not go go wild or use strength um so then you become hypocritical in your teaching it's like well that's for you not for me because right right (laughs) totally (laughs) you know and even though speaking of of which like a tapping there have been matches or you know rolling with people where man i didn't have it that day yeah i i did i just didn't have it that day and i there's been i've rolled with a couple of really really good brown belts and this one i'm i'm thinking of not too long ago it just wasn't i didn't have it that day and the guy was good the guy was so good and i was like whoa i have to like Oh, I'm ramping it up. I'm ramping it up, right. and then I, I, I didn't have what it took that day. And I, I, it was he was, and he was so cool. And that's happened a couple of times where it's, you know, I, it's just, I, it's just not my day. Every day is different, and I'm almost apologetic. I'm like, you know, I don't say like I didn't have it today, but I'm just like, oh man, you, you did, you did great, you did great, yeah. and that it's happened a handful of times. I mean, I still, they're very memorable sometimes when you're like, man, I'm just getting, I'm getting worked here. You know, and, and the, you know, of course, as you age, you know, you don't remember all the people that you beat or hardly ever do you remember those. But I, I mean, there's a handful of times where I've actually felt a little bad because I, I really wanted to give them a little more. Right. You right. know, but it, it just wasn't, it wasn't there that day. And that's just being, that's just being real. Well, I think that that's a good point from the other side of the fence, too, because when you're a newer belt or a lower belt, if you do tap somebody that's a black belt, it's not something to go celebrating about like you did some miraculous thing, because as black belts doesn't doesn't mean, first of all, that we never make mistakes, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it also doesn't mean that we're on it. And at our full potential every single day uh, around the the clock and all year round. And it can feel good if you're a lower belt and you do get somebody who's a black belt. But it's like, I don't want to take away from it to to crush people's uh, spirits if that happens. But you don't, like we said, you don't know what their day was like, what their night before was like. But you also don't know, did uh, oftentimes as you get higher in order to kind of shore up your weaknesses, to find the weaknesses in your game, you have to put yourself in compromising positions. Oh, and if you yeah. never allow yourself to get in those positions, wait till the day that somebody gets you there and they ha- that's their game. And you don't, you don't have anything to do because you've never dealt with it. You've just avoided it, right? Absolutely. Or, you know, in the course of your own game, you just rarely, I mean, so, so many of the problems that you have initially as a blue belt or a purple belt, those problems disappear. Right. You know, like it, you don't end up in those positions or those situations again. You you just don't because usually yeah. you're, you're dominant. You cut, you like really shut down their offense early, mm-hmm. very efficiently. So you're just not in these bad positions. So you need to put yourself in those positions. Right. And people are watching what you do as a black belt or senior black belt. People are watching what you do a lot. 
so you need to i tell you what one one of the greatest examples was um a gentleman named garth taylor who was an early coach of mine and he was like claudio's right hand man and i was uh i think i was a blue belt and he was a brown belt i think and he'd been to abu dhabi's dude he was amazing great and continues to be a great instructor and great practitioner but i just happened to catch him in a choke this one time maybe he wasn't taking me that yeah he wasn't taking me that seriously or whatever he was letting me in the game and i happened to catch him in a choke and he i could tell he oh and he tapped and i was like oh my god and i said um i tried saying something he said no that was good that was good you got that and i i i've never forgotten it yeah. the respect that he gave me is the respect that i give other people now right you know he didn't try to write it no, off no nope, he did not no he didn't make an excuse for himself right and he i mean he was toast he could he toasted me many times many times but um it just happened to be one moment right and that moment has influenced all the other moments i always want to be like garth and give the respect and do not make an excuse for yourself i think that one of those moments for myself and it isn't my story really it was just that i was rolling with the deco one day and uh i think it was after my LCL had be, um, mm. almost completely got torn off my femur mm. and uh, it was hanging on by a thread from a uh, uh, X guard mm. and uh, a bad it was a bad uh, a bad roll bad day mm. um, and I was in a brace for six months mm. as a purple belt and I was still rolling and uh, I was rolling with the deco one day and he he um, was trying to work with me on what I can do to mitigate that that guard without yeah. doing what I was doing to get injured because mm -hmm. it was it was a confluence of two two sides it was a blue belt that did it to me that didn't have the experience to play that guard and know what the dangers of it was mm -hmm. he was very good at that guard and then on my side, I my typical routine for smat was to smash the X guard and just barrel down, and people would eventually have to let go. Uh -huh. uh, and I did that, but at the same time, he popped up, and we we both heard the audible pop. Mm. My and I know it. It's terrible. It is, and it was uh, it put me out of the game for a while. So I was working with the deco on how to what's well, a better solution for the x guard instead of what i was doing obviously um, yeah and he stopped and he's he was telling me the story of i cannot remember the gentleman's name he became our red belt um but the deco was rolling with him in brazil uh when he was a purple belt i believe and he was this guy was a black belt. It was at uh, De La Riva's school, if I remember right. Yeah, it was at De La Riva's school. And uh, he he caught the guy um, in an ankle lock, if I remember correctly. And the guy just tapped right away. And uh, the deco wasn't done. He's like, but I, d I didn't finish the move. And he looked at him and he said, 
That's okay. You got it. I don't want my knee hurt. Mm-hmm. So let's just keep your position and move on. You got you got it. And that story stuck with me, I guess, because it really conveyed that what the hell does that matter? That one friggin' tap on the mat, which is going to destroy your knee, possibly for the rest of your life. Was it really worth not tapping? Totally. Um, totally. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you hear that, and I hope people that are listening to this conversation can take that and apply it to their own life without having to take our experience and Dedeco's experience and everyone's experience and be able to apply that so they tap early, tap often. Right. But, man, so many people have to teach themselves that lesson. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. And then, yeah, but it, it's good. I mean, the best people have tapped. The, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, I've heard about great athletes that they get so tired that everyone can tap them. But they're pushing themselves. They're there. They're doing their training. That that was mental training for them that day. You know, uh, yeah. there's all different ways to train. It's all about doing it safely and consistently and intelligently. And and not tapping in a dire moment is not the intelligent strategy. Yeah. And so here's a I think this is I've told the story to my students plenty of times, but I think this is relevant to what we're talking about. Um, I think I was uh, ground belt and uh, a guy I rolled with a guy for the first time. He was a uh, um, black belt at that. Time. I believe he was a black belt. and I was a brown. It might have been brown and purple, but he um I had never rolled with him before. We became friends um, after this day. And uh, I started going, and I was used to a lot of resistance, like rolling, like expecting the the, uh, yeah. the full yeah. on, I'm not mm-hmm. going to let you do anything to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was not at all like that. Like I, I started rolling with him. I started to pass, and instead of, the the blockade that you expect, he just kind of let it go. I got the pass and I got side control and um, went on from there. Don't need to continue with the uh, the role, but um, his whole method, we would we'd start again and repeat and start again and repeat. And I was like, what is going on? Because uh, belts aren't given away, and mm-hmm. what's, uh, why is this so easy, and why am I not feeling that resistance? Well, and then uh, as I got to know him, it's like, well, that was his second class of the day, and he was coming back for two more classes that night. Mm. And I was like, oh, so... And I, I remember a couple years after this, listening to uh, George St. Pierre's coach um, talk with uh, Joe Rogan, and I forget his name. Um, Frost Sahabi? Yes. Frost uh, was talking about, he had a really good way of putting it with regard to, if you can go and train, like 
my friend was doing, say he was mm-hmm. getting four hours a day on the mats. And every time he went in, he was not resisting. He was just kind of moving and going. It's like, and for, um, for us, uh, had, uh, put it this way is like, add up the, do the math at the end of the year. So you go in and train once really hard and then you're sore, you're tired. You can't train for two more days after that. So you trained three hours a week versus the person that came in and they didn't behave like an animal and they were they were flowing and they're training six hours a week or or mm-hmm. ten hours a week at the end of the year how many hours of training have they done yeah. versus you frequency versus intensity right and you can't have both at an all-time high right you know you have to yeah more intense that's okay sometimes you know more frequent is usually better you know and yeah. bring that intensity down and yeah flow with it flow with it yeah frost is a very very smart guy really like his perspective but it clicked with when i heard him talking about that and then what my friend had been doing and realizing what his training schedule was like it was like "Mm, yeah well look i mean pacing you know he's he he has his objective you know and it wasn't it wasn't to to block your guard pass it was to learn as much as he can and and make it all those classes you know in one piece it's in that you know in the early early days no one would accept that yeah but you had to go balls to the wall every time it was it was so intense and so rough uh, and I would actually try to moderate the intensity, and they would be like, they would just mow you over. You know, I didn't have enough technique, and right. I mean, er- early on, I was just trying to do a drill, and the guy would just, he would just, you start sparring. We're like, we're in the technique yeah. portion, dude. You know, yeah. and but I, th- those days are those days are over now. There's never been a better time to learn jujitsu. People understand that a lot of a lot more hobbyists. Somewhat, yeah. I, you know. I remember not too long ago, I went to a class as a black belt, and we were drilling, and I had about three hours sleep the night before, and the guy that I got paired off with was just, like, ready to go to the comp- the competition the next day, like, mm-hmm. that mindset, and uh, and even in the drills, he wanted to roll, he wanted to spar, and I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing this today. So yeah. whatever. Tap. Yep. You yeah. Got me. Got tap. Dude, yeah. That's if you your... want to roll while we're drilling, I, I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. <laughs> you got problems. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and don't and don't make his problems your problems. Exactly. It's uh don't let other people rent space in your head. <laughs> For sure. Often students look at black belts and think that um, or instructors that this is all you think about 24 seven. Mm. You don't have any other interests or, so uh, what are your thoughts on that? Where do you lie in your realm these days? What do you spend oh, your- I mean, I'm, I feel very fortunate to just have taken the chances that I did mm-hmm. um, when I did. So I've been able to just kind of have a, I would say a very different kind of lifestyle. You know, I quit my job when I was 31. I was like, oh. I'm still young enough to go back, you know. Oh, I did but, the same. I was the same age. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, okay, this is, I know enough to probably do this, 
but you know if it doesn't work out I, I i can always do something you know i can always go back and resuscitate my old job or position or whatever it happens <laughs> to be but uh, luckily i haven't had to do that so right these days um i'm definitely into trying to get i spent you know when i when i had the academy full time it was your mind is in physical culture all the time. Yep. And you're only around people that are immersed in that physical culture or some variant of that physical culture, like, uh, you know, what, whatever. And that gets old after about a decade where you're just immersed in physical culture. And, you know, there's more to life than that, a lot more. And so, you know, travel, which I can obviously link together with jujitsu right. instruction. Right. But... No, I'm I'm reading more. I'm listening to more audiobooks. I'm I'm uh, more politically aware. I'm I'm high on life and being a well-rounded individual. I so mean, like, that was no, what I was going to ask. About could you jiu-jitsu. summarize it in one word of balance? Is that like oh, for sure, for sure. And in some ways. Uh, leading a jiu-jitsu academy and doing that was more balanced than my nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I eventually, I needed to find a new level of balance. And part of that is, you know, I still, I still train, I still teach, I've, uh, I travel, I do all that, but it's at a much more moderated rate so right. that I can fall. Uh, so I was able to fall in love with jiu-jitsu again. And be able to be a student. Yeah, I'm a teacher, of course. But I'm also a student. And I love seeing the new, how the leg lock revolution, how the people respect it now and how it's coming to its own and all these other interesting pathways around the body, you know, that people are getting into. And, you know, all these things that um, I'm, I'm really seeing the full circle mm. of jujitsu and if you look on Instagram and you see people doing very cool and elaborate threads or yeah. combinations yeah. of techniques, like people should check out Dave Camarillo if, if they haven't. But there's a lot of people doing a bunch of that stuff. If you had done that in the early days of jujitsu, they would have called it, you know, Hollywood fighting or mm. kung fu choreography or whatever. That was, and, you know, we're kind of going back to, essentially classical jujitsu demonstrations you know mm-hmm. it's and and a lot of the you know classic jujitsu is not that much different than the self-defense techniques of gracie jujitsu okay yep you know That's so all, all of this is, is is coming around full circle and i love being able to be yeah a teacher but then also a student of the game with nothing to prove you know it, it, well, what do you mean? The... Go ahead. Sorry. I thought oh you... no, it's just it's a good place to be, where I'm not trying to like oh, uh, you know, initially you, you people are always like trying to define themselves. Oh, I won this competition, or I went to that school, and I did this, and I you know I did this, I did that. And now I'm just like oh, it's it's fun. I, I'm seeing it in a more holistic sense, you know where. What's the importance of jujitsu? It's well it's to 
integrate people with their bodies. It's right. to be able to have social connection. It's to have a tribe that you can go to, which we have traditionally had, but we're kind of lacking in this more isolated, you yeah. know, electronic age. It's a big problem nowadays. Yeah. Right? And so that, that makes me even more um, dedicated to, hey, keep producing great material. Keep sharing the art. Keep teaching. But in my own way. And I'm really, I'm hardly ever showing techniques anymore. There's a million people showing great yeah. techniques. And that's fine. And so now I'm taking more of a meta instructor approach where I have like a back end for my affiliates and I, I'm like, oh, uh, check out this judo technique. Look at the grip variation. I, right. I drop the YouTube video right there. Oh, check this out. Check that out. I don't need to teach at all. I can just, I'm yeah. under direction and I'm going to just illustrate what I'm into, what I find fascinating, what, what is cool, what's worth paying attention to. That's yep. really my job. That's a good, good way to put it. Yeah. So cultivating instead of um, instead of being the one that's maybe digging things up all the time or yeah, I don't I don't need to show all the techniques, particularly techniques that I'm not that skilled at. I'm really good at many yeah. techniques, but I'm not amazing at all of them, and really nobody None is. None of us are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that I think you know that's something that I express to my students a lot is. It's not being a black belt or getting there isn't about collecting 5 million techniques. That's like white belt, blue belt. And then yeah. after that, it's really about narrowing the field into what your game is and defining that. And then it's like the reverse branches from there. It's like, how does each one of those connect to five other things? And what happens when each of those five fails? Where do you go from there and building another branch and three? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of things that you are already familiar with, not completely unfamiliar or things that right. you just aren't going to be good at. That's yeah. Yeah. Refining those connections in between. I mean, and sometimes you learn a new technique, you're like, oh, that fits perfectly in my game. Oh, I'm there all the time. I really should explore that, mm. that new, that new option, that new choke, whatever it happens to be. Um, and so it's refinement. It's just refinement over time. And um, it's, I like that. it's a joy. I like that because that's very similar. Like I try to get the balance of fitting this in without doing it so much that I keep injuring myself or mm. wearing my body out. Um, but integrating it as a life, like how can not, it's almost like two in the yin yang world. And uh, if you want to look at it, that's two yang. It's two, if you're doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. you're not focusing on the mental or the spiritual so i i like that i have a very similar outlook at this point um as well as trying to apply and we we were joking about this the other day is trying to apply what we learn on the mats to our everyday life where it's like why can i stay completely calm and not get upset when somebody's trying to choke me or punch me or throw me Mm -hmm. But then when I get on a customer service call with <laughs> Verizon or whoever, it's like a, it's it's like instant ballistic. We lose your temper with with going through the navigation of press this button if you do this, and you finally get a person on the phone, and you just feel like you lost all emotional control that you spent 
a lifetime building in martial arts. It's like, whoa, I'm not a black belt here, that's for sure. <laughs> totally, totally. Areas of lines of development. Right. Some people right. are advanced, and here they're just getting started. Yes, yeah. Or, or uh, maybe road rage is a good, uh, wow. a good way to compare. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, I think that one, uh, one key point that I would like to ask you about, uh, to wrap this up is something you said a moment ago about falling in love with jujitsu again, uh, implies that you, uh, became disenfranchised and disenchanted with it at some point. And oh, for sure that happened to me as well. So do you mind maybe elaborating a little bit on why you, why it just became something that you lost passion for? A lot of it has to do with the stage of development that your academy is in. You know, I think it's easy to be passionate in the early days yeah. when you're when you're giving it all and you have these really personal relationships with people and and there is something where it's more about being a brotherhood than a business. Yeah. And those are, those are amazing years. I would say the first five years of me having an academy, first three years were magical, and then it had a, its own momentum. And then at about five years, it, it was more business. I'm like, yeah. okay, I've been doing this for a long time. I've invested a significant amount of money and time and effort, and um, I really need a better ROI. So you, you focus more on the business and then people, you know, people, I, I just, I got tired of the, oh, well, this person just moved into town and they do it like this. They have a, uh, they have a three hour class and the first 45 minutes are all warm up and I've never been beaten up like that before. And I'm like, yeah, I've done that kind of class before. That's why I don't teach that here. But, and you get tired of, ex like, you can't really explain that to them. Like, if they're, if they feel like that is the answer for them, just be like, okay, that's good. But you get, you give, so when there's, you don't get that return on investment, not just for money and time, no, no. But, but also, like, loyalty. You're giving so much. You don't, they don't know how much they're being given, how good they have it. And then to have people kind of like, ah, well, I feel like this right now. I was, I just got like, this is not it. What am I going to be doing this for the next twenty years? I don't, I don't want to do that. I, it, it, it I've, I said, you know what? This is. I had built a beautiful trap for myself because. Yes, you can have instructors at your academy, but if it's called Roy Dean Academy, Roy Dean needs to be there. Right. on the mat and if the passion isn't there anymore the the people can tell you know yeah they, they can't tell they can't tell you what it is but they can feel it definitely yeah they can feel it and if you're not into it like i had no interest in going to come i was just burnt and i think around year five you do get burnt out oh yeah many many yeah. times yeah there are multiple but there's different is this a massive wildfire? Are you are you a little bit burnt? Are you singed? Or are you really burnt? And if you're really burnt and you don't take time to recover, then you are going to resent the art and resent your students. I did. I, I became 
I was ready to walk away. And it was about year five because it was it was a year, um, well, technically after a year after the recession started. Mm-hmm. And I was in a, a shopping plaza for my mm-hmm. school where the overhead was about $10,000 a month mm-hmm. to break even. Mm-hmm. And it was super stressful. Um, all the time and i was teaching about 35 classes a week maybe oh my god it was crazy and um and then the recession hit right when we were we were building 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 and then wham i lost Mm -hmm. 20 students and so into january of 2009 we were still adding people i had added 11 students in january of 2009 uh, four months after the recession, it officially kind of kicked off. And then the next month, I lost 20 students in one month. And then I went down uh, 60 students uh, between then and August. Um, and it was just, it just became something that I, I came to start to hate. And mm-hmm. sent. I, I I know, and you had you had a big nut. You had to meet every every month, yeah. and and people don't understand. Like if you never had a business, and have never had to pay for everything, including the sign that you hang up. I mean, yep. people don't understand what it takes and what you're putting on the line and what you've invested. They just go in there as a consumer, and take, and you know it's good. You're creating a magical experience for them, right? But right. That is really stressful. And if you've never done it, um, and this is part of a, I've been incubating this course for a while um, that I'm not quite ready to release yet, but I want to tell people about the nitty gritty of what it actually takes to run an academy. And it has nothing to do with marketing. It has everything to do with what you are going to feel, what you're going to experience, how to treat the people that stab you in the back or walk away or steal your students right. or do, because that happens to everybody. Yeah. That happens to everybody who does. I have one of my affiliates, he was, he's been teaching so long. He had a instructor who like stole money, broke into his filing yeah. cabinet, took, took a bunch of students away. I was like, how do you feel about this? I was like, oh man happens it happens you know and it's so true it's so true and i yeah so the course is really about you know the the stuff that other people will not tell you about the dark side of of running a martial arts school yeah absolutely but you know on the other hand it is incredibly rewarding there's nothing more rewarding than empowering somebody with lessons that they can and skills that they can carry with them Absolutely. the rest of their life, Absolutely. you know, so it's incredibly rewarding. And, but the, the thing is that most people don't realize it can be a chapter in your life. True. It True. doesn't have to be forever. It can, no, it can I, be a chapter. And it, you know, my chapter was incredible. I loved it. I'm in a new chapter. Yeah. You know, and it took, a little bit of courage to quit and like my lease was coming up. Can I do this another three to five years? Yeah. Would you, no, I, I could tell yeah. I did not want to do this for another three to five years. 
And so I said, okay, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to figure something out, you know? Yeah. Luckily, I had other income from the media that I'd, I'd produced, but that, that, was a, that was a real gut check. Are you going to, are you okay doing this, you know? You, but I took a chance. I went to Japan when I was 16. I quit my job when I was 31, you know? Right. It's just another chance to adapt and thrive. That's the thing that, because I had to find my way back to, because I still run a school. It's been 16 years. Mm-hmm. And I I had to find that passion again. Mm-hmm. And I had to really look in and assess, take inventory, everything else. And, and I had to revamp my school and make it into something that I enjoyed again. And I... Mm-hmm. I get to a point where, um, and I, I think, so when did I meet Dedeco? It was 2011. I think it was after I met Dedeco that I, we were talking one day and he said, if I come to my school, his school, he was mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. himself. If he shows up and he's ready to teach and someone walks through the door and he goes, oh, they're here again. He gets rid of them. Mm-hmm. Because and I and I do I adopted this mentality because if someone is if you're teaching people and I have a couple thoughts on this for to hit on to continue this point. If you're teaching people and they make you not want to be in your own school, yeah. What benefit are we to all the other students that, that we do enjoy teaching? Mm-hmm. That we do want to share this passion with. Because we, our passion is getting squashed out by trying to keep somebody that, for what? Why, why are we trying to fix somebody or why are we trying to keep that revenue? And yeah, I think the other side of that mm-hmm. that is very s- similar is something that when it's all about focusing on revenue, which yeah. when you're paying those kinds of rents on a facility, mm-hmm. it's that your mind has to go on on that it's like uh i used to have to take anybody who would come in the door and then you spend all of your energy trying to keep people that didn't really want to be there yeah and meanwhile you on the back side of the house you have all the people that are really passionate and they want what you're ready to share and teach but by the time you turn around to to give them their mm-hmm. attention, you got nothing left in the tank. Totally, totally. And, that is, I mean, I love hearing you say that because I had a really, I was trying to do something very specific with RDA. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, a very technical, very friendly school mm-hmm. um, that was focused on longevity and, you know, empowerment and and basically really understanding the art in a good way without any kind of thug influence you know yeah so there were people that came in that they wanted to they want to be an mma fighter you know and it's not and i'm like i would tell them of course this is a fundamental discipline of mma but you know some of those guys wanted to fight right away right right and i'm like i don't think this is a place for you or there are people that were man they didn't fit for whatever reason they didn't fit because my school was too youthful for for them, like they were too experienced for where the development of the students were, and 
you know, there's all kinds of factors, but I was not shy about showing people the door. Right. And right. I, and people knew I had a reputation for like, if you don't fit, I will show you the door and I'll do it politely and kindly. Yeah, of course. But, there's no reason but to disrespect it, But no, if, yeah. if you're not the right fit. And you also, I mean, there's so many ways that people can, can get that feeling that give you that feeling of, oh no, like drama, people that yeah. create a lot of drama, people that, um, you know, they're doing, do drugs on your own time. Don't do them in the school or anywhere near the school, you know? Yeah, or, you know, or people think this stuff doesn't or, happen. But, or attitude yeah. or, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of, and honestly, yeah. on the other hand, now that's me as an instructor assessing people. However, people would come to me because there was personality conflict. Oh my God, that's another thing that I was tired, so yeah. tired of dealing with personality conflicts between people mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they didn't like that person. Well, I'm willing to give that person a chance, you know, you, let's see how they develop, you know, just because you didn't like them or whatever, or you broke up with them and now you're not together yeah. and you want me to kick them out. Yeah. Like, I'm not into that. I mean, I'm, I'm into, no, that's your, that's your problem. I'm willing to give them a chance. If there was a group consensus that this person is dangerous and I wasn't seeing it, I might have, I would have a talk with them and right. maybe, but you know, I, I think that's important that you don't just kick anyone out of your school if there's complaints. Right. It's, it's more about, but you, you, you're the decider. You get to make yeah, that falls decision. on our shoulders. It, absolutely. It stops here. And if you don't like rolling with that person, how are the other students going to like rolling with that person? They're not going to like it at all. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to roll with that person because you feel they're out of control, they need to go somewhere else where they can, where they're going to fit in better. And those guys yeah. like that, that style of training. Yeah. Which, but you and I both know that's really relatively short lived. That's, that level of training uh, all the time usually ends up in injuries. Oh yeah, but you know that's all they have to find out for themselves. Know. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, do I miss having school? I miss the people for the most part of having school. But in now I'm in Southern California. I teach at um, my friend's school, uh, right. CBBJJ. I teach when I'm in town. If I'm not in town, I don't have to worry about it. When I was teaching and running an academy and like traveling all over, it's like there's a there's a rush to get back, you know. Yeah. There's a, you're there's always a worried about do... what's going on. Is yeah, really okay? yeah. And you need to keep your finger on the pulse, and you know, it's just there's a lot now. It's much more chill. I, I contribute, I teach, I coach, I train, you know, and it's and I get to focus on other projects. Oh. You know, my affiliate wants to release something. You know, Aikido Journal. I, I have some other. I have some other cool ideas that I want to get. Well, you out took there. the time to watch my video when I was getting ready to put it out. I appreciate yeah, that. Absolutely. And absolutely. I don't think you would have had time to do that when you were running your school. <laughs> no, God, there was so much, and you can only do so much. Yeah. You know? So, I get to spend more time doing the things I love. And. And that has allowed me to reinvigorate my love for jujitsu and contribute in a different way. I mean, there's a sea of technique. I, I, initially, you know, people really like my techniques. It's fine. But I want to I do more 
filmmaking more well, i think that's your your product stands out and has always stood out to me because it's um like above and beyond on an aesthetic level mm-hmm. uh visually it's it's just very different and i think that it's cool because if um if you have the the direction to focus on that it's just something that there isn't a lot of it's like martial arts is um to me like somebody and i used to compete in forms a lot like um so i know about movement i know about how to make it look good um and people would say well fighting doesn't look good i i strongly disagree when it's done well oh yeah it's beautiful it's amazing when you get somebody like flying through the air with an amazing uh throw or trip or um yeah you catch them with something that they didn't expect it's there's this flow this back and forth mm-hmm. that when it's captured well in film it's yeah. amazing so i think it's cool that you do that stuff and i'd like to see more of it because it's like uh watching action movies is it's like it's like all right, all right. you it's get a, enough of that I, like, yeah, I have a pretty low I have a very small appetite for most action movies because it's like yeah. it's a little too unre- unrealistic, whatever. But right. when it comes to my projects, I want to make it needlessly beautiful. Yeah. Ne- yeah. It doesn't need to be that good, but I'm going to make it that good anyway. Right. Be- because it's a personal challenge to me because then I have to dig a little deeper and evolve and do something better. Uh, and the fact that it's so needlessly beautiful shows you a level of thought and intent. Yeah. And if you can bring it to that, it also illustrates the level of thought and intent that you bring to your techniques, how you approach the art. You know, it's it illustrates right. more and it also gives a very positive impression of the art to other people when they view like one of my videos or you know something online they're like I like this. I don't know why right. I like it. Is it the music? Is it the editing? Is it the videography? Is it the techniques? I don't know, but I like it. And you don't need to know about all the different levels, but it hits you on all the levels. And so to be able to trans, there's a transmission of knowledge and energy that goes through these videos. And I want people to feel inspired um, by taking it in and then, and hopefully rewatching. You know, yeah. I think that's yeah. where a lot of the really good stuff is in the rewatch. <clears throat> it has to be appealing. Otherwise, it's kind of like I saw that. It's, <sighs> unless right. you're really trying to study a technique from something, you don't watch it again. It's like you want to see um, you want to see something again because it was pleasing. Mm-hmm. Like a Kurosawa movie. <laughs> right. You know, there was a, a gentleman who wrote me from Germany. And this was right when I was, um, I decided, okay, I'm out. I'm not going to run an academy anymore. And he wrote me and he said, Roy, I just wanted to let you know that I got my black belt um, the other day. And that I wanted to let you know how much blue belt requirements helped me. Nice. I've, I've watched it over a thousand times. Wow. <laughs> A thousand times. 
over. I mean, he, it was like a med, it was like a, a meditation yeah. for him where, to watch the movements and the, and I, I wrote him and I told him it meant a lot to me. And I, I really felt like at that point, okay, I had graduated my first black belt with my academy, <clears throat> but that was kind of the, that was the okay from the universe that you've right. done enough. Yeah. If you're able to influence people like that. That's better that, than an Oscar. <laughs> it was <laughs> to help somebody get their black belt and be able to help, you know, program those movements into him and show him what the art was about from when he was a white belt to his current rank. Um, that really made a big impression on me. And yeah. and it encouraged me, like, no, keep keep going. Keep I want to keep making better art and it's yeah. about jiu-jitsu it's about aikido it's about it's about everything it can be about anything i'm getting a new camera it just shipped i can't wait uh and i want to do some amazing stuff this camera can do stuff that i haven't been able to do yeah and i i want to do something great with it you know and and so anyways i i hope that um the projects that are coming out continue to raise the bar, you know, not just for the industry, but for myself. Right. And, and, you know, I can continue to expand that, that positive impression of jujitsu. Uh, so that people even casually glancing on it or coming into casual contact with it can recognize, oh, that's a good thing. It's like Roy Dean beyond the mats. Yeah. Right. It's that was an awesome chat. I didn't didn't expect to the uh, the all the stuff that we were able to hit on and talk about. That was pretty cool. Oh man, this is this has been great, and I appreciate the opportunity, Randy. Um, thank you for uh, thank you for stopping by. <laughs> hey, uh, it's good to be here in the neighborhood, and uh, I look forward to next time. <laughs> yeah. Opposite sides of the country, but it's all it's it's so cool that we can connect like this. Awesome. Totally. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that as much as Roy and I did. I'll leave links down below on ways you can connect with Roy, follow him on social media. I highly recommend you check out his website, his books, DVDs. He's got online instructionals. Been a very busy guy. High quality stuff though. I think you'll like it. I'll see you next time. Until then, stay hooked.